All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic. So slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, man. Born Are you a serious? Rich family. You kidding me? I <laughs> live in Raleigh. And the episode starts. Here we go. I don't record it now. I'm recording now. I was just excited. So I thought Fonte got on the <laughs> yeah, plane. Yeah. I should have known better. Oh, oh, hell no. I ain't doing that. Come on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to another episode of Quest Love Supreme. It was Quest Love. Uh, with me is, of course, uh, Team Supreme, Fontigolo. In a new location. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Came down to Charlotte to get some work in for a couple days. And um, yeah, bro. You, you Yo, Yo, man, I had to, uh, I meant to tell you too. I think I, I, I may be joining you. I ain't going as crazy as you going with it, but uh, I've drastically cut down my meat intake. Oh, shit. There you go, bro. Like, like, like drastically. Uh, I still, I mean, I still do my fish. I love, I can eat fish like every day of the week. Right. And uh, I still do my, you know, my chicken. I do like, you know, my chicken, but uh, like beef, pork, like I think, yeah, that might. It might be a wrap. Yeah, Damn, bro. Yeah, we might, might make it to 70. <laughs> Just make sure you're replacing that iron. Just make sure you're replacing that iron with something. Damn, we man, I be drinking Metamucil in the morning. I feel old as shit. <laughs> <laughs> keep doing joints loose, man. Right. Listen, get to keep that cholesterol down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, what's up, Sugar Steve? How how you making out? Oh my God, you're just talking about meat makes me want a steak. You know, I don't know. What, <laughs> I do everything bad, so mm. I might I might not make it to seventy. But I love y'all. Um, we love you Ooh, too, that, was your, that was the final goodbye. Mm. Uh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm, everything's okay. Glad to be with with everybody here, and uh, looking forward to a great. Everyone's episode. fine. You you just you just recorded a, an album for your label. 
We we recorded hey. we recorded two full records in two days for David Murray. Ma- David Murray was one of the records, and Lage Lund, a uh, Norwegian guitarist, was another one. Yeah. That's jmirecordings.com, everybody. For yes, you got to buy We we right. we joke we joke about Steve's uh, newfound celebrity, but Steve has definitely um, done a lot of pivot work um, in the last few years, developing. Really, just living his dream, like you know, recording and and putting out his, you know, after you collect every jazz record, I guess the next thing is you have to be start making them. Start, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're the new That's Creed Taylor. Right. So. That's right. You know, uh, the label started right around when this podcast started around five years ago. Well, Ray, so, right, Ray, angry. Five years old. Like, yeah, yeah, you have a new background. You look like you're on a tour bus right now. I'm not. I'm in my new spot. Oh, you just have tour bus curtains. Are the good thick joints. Come on now, they, yeah, they nice. Oh my! Well, from this, from this, from this. This is way better than the paper with the paper clip. What's wrong with I you? I was even is... making fun of you. I just, it just, it looks, it kind of looks like a tour bus. Okay. Like, well, you know, these are the factory blinds they gave me at the new spot, and I'm real happy to be at. Okay. Well, you making out? Everything's fine. How's oh yeah. Your holiday. Living good in the blackest of neighborhoods in Los Angeles. Hallelujah. Shout out to Estelle who took me around and showed me the good corner stores. Okay. I am living hey. my best life. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, just be careful because <laughs> a lot's going on in LA that you happening know. to very rich people, Amir. Very rich people who have Rolex. Why are you saying it to me? Like, why are you because everybody who tells me to <laughs> watch out in so LA? Specific. Well, I'm being specific because <laughs> people have said that to me a lot for, out from outside LA, and I don't think they understand that the people who are getting robbed are not in my tax bracket. In They're in Hills. yours. <laughs> oh, okay. It's no, like I'm... criminals just figured out rich people. Yeah. So that's what. Okay. Well, okay. Let's hear. Everyone's moving to a pivot. Where we now, you know, t- no, let me not even put that out there. <laughs> Ladies and no, gentlemen, no. Um, I will say that our, our guest today is the founding member of probably uh, one of the most legendary futuristic um, electro funk oh. duos, uh, professionally and better known as The System. What made The System unique is the kind of space that they occupied at a time period in which uh, new ideas and new concepts were happening in real time. And this is like the post-disco Leroy, uh, Leroy Burgess era of Boogie, um, mm-hmm. in which it was needed of a jolt. You know, it was like New Wave was sort of coming in for a lot of the pop acts. And, you know, of course, Prince finally had control of the wheel and made the entire world take notice of his vision, even made like Leon Silvers in the West Coast take note of his vision. Meanwhile, I'll say that in New York City, you know, club culture, dance culture sort of reached a boil with, where hip-hop was slowly creeping into, were di- dipping their toes in the water. And, and, you know, for the first time, you're hearing songs with a little harder edge to it and R&B and funk. You know, acts were slowly dipping their toes in the water uh, using, like, futuristic synth sounds and harder drum programming. And, you know, and I feel that, that particular pocket, this very influential duo occupied. Let me just get it, get him out of the way first. Please welcome to Questlove Supreme, uh, Mike Murphy of the System. Thank you. Yes, sir. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you, Questlove. Thank you, fam. Wait, I, I wanted to know, because you occupy, there's, there's a very specific period of New York City that I'm unaware of. Like, we've had many guests that can sort of put me down with what was happening in Los Angeles between like 77 to 85. Mm, But mm -hmm. um, for the first time, I think we're really going to dive into 
what R&B and what dance culture and what um, black music in general was going through in between, you know, 1980, 81, 82, 83, 45. For those that weren't under the purple umbrella and for those that weren't directly doing hip hop, like especially in New York City. So, you know, thank you for doing the show, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, brother. So you're, you're speaking to us now from where? East Harlem, New York City, NYC. Uh, okay, so you're still a Harlem resident. Yes, yes, I am. Okay, but well, I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. So this, I'm a, I'm a 20 year transplant of East okay. Harlem. Well, before we started taping, you were letting Fonte know that you, you two uh, are from the same hood. Where, where, yeah, where, did, you, yeah. where did you start? Yeah, I'm, I'm born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. The Morgans. Yeah, that's the home. Fowlers, that's where I the live. McCoys, the Austins. Yeah, okay. we big. We roll deep down there. That's so dope. You know man. some of them from there? The McCoy. I'm sure the I do. I went to Central. So I went to North Carolina Central. So okay. that was right. where I came for school. And then in uh, Raleigh, I mean, I, I moved to Raleigh in like 05, but uh, been there ever since. But yeah, man, um, it's, you know, cool city, real. It's going up like everywhere else. Like the rent and all yeah. the properties is going nuts. But um, but it's, it's a beautiful city, man. That's what's up. How how long did you live there before you moved to New York? Oh, I was I moved up here when I was a baby, but every summer, you know how mom do. You're gonna go down to your uncle Jesse. You're going to your uncle Jesse's for the summer. So I I did that till I was like 13, 14 when she finally was like, all right, okay, you know, because I started you know playing in bands and stuff, and we were gigging a bunch, and she was like, all right, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you get some. Okay. Was it, were those good memories of having to go down south, or was it always like, oh, man, I want to play with my friends in the summer up in New York? Or no, no my cousins were friends. Um, Bernard Fowler is my first cousin. What? Yeah, mm. that's my first cousin. Of course. Ah, is, so is yeah, this the connection yeah, to Queens yeah. as well? Yeah, he's from Queensbridge, and um, you know, as kids, we would we were best friends, running back and forth to each other's houses. Our mother. His, my father and his mother are um, brother and sister. So, so she was like my, she's my real auntie. And we spend weekends together hanging out, playing and stuff. So we're tight. Wow. So he's your actual first cousin. He's my actual first cousin. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> All right. So for our listeners yeah, out there, like yeah. Bernard is pretty much, you know, he's a who's a who of, of background singing. Um, you know, he's known for his work with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and le and lead singers and lead singers. He's he's definitely one one of the absolute best. Yeah, I got to say the infamous uh, house classic or uh, well, Peach Boys. Uh, Don't make me wait. Don't make me wait. Don't make me wait. Yeah, that's all Bernard. Yep. Yeah, not to mention like the work that he's done with uh, Bill Laswell and mm -hmm. and Herbie Hancock and uh, the, the recently departed uh, and oh, everybody Robbie Shakespeare, Slime <laughs> Robbie. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. So, so the question I usually start with: Can you tell me what your first musical, your first musical memory was? Um, you know, as a kid, my mother loved music, so we used to go to the Apollo all the time, and it was at a time when you could see five shows in one day. You could just sit there, hang out, and watch all the shows, and so I did that a lot. So those are my earliest. My earliest memories, you know, in music in the house, um, the, of course, the Jackson Five, who I emulated in my first band, and kind of right. that's how I got my start. What really? did your mom do for work, man? 
my mother was a my mother no my mother was a um a plan reader engineer for ma bell for bell telephone company mm. and she was a rebel like she was she was the original liberated woman <laughs> she really was community leader and um she used to give uh back in the day um there were a lot of social groups that gave dances so whenever they'd have a dance of course my little band the soul shakers we'd be like the floor show so they would have like a well-known kind of orchestra one was ron um ron williams and the band of renown so they would be the big band playing and then we would come on and do like a michael jackson james brown floor show it's it's interesting to hear normally um a lot of our guests on the show if their formative years were in the 60s or 70s nine times out of ten secular music is taboo but it sounds like at least to hear like was was were your parents strict with music you're not allowed to listen to any music but gospel or any of those things or no i didn't have any of that um pretty much i mean in my house it was like brooke benton was king you know it's like oh, Nat wow. king cole <laughs> was king <laughs> the yeah. smooth the smooth r&b lover the lover boy singers um so i kind of mm. grew up really actually loving Brooke Benton, those kind of classic songs with the strings, with the deep, deep melodies and the deep lyrics. And um, that's kind of what I cut my teeth on. And later it developed into more, more of the funky stuff. Okay. Or what, how, how many siblings do you have? Where do you fall in your family line? I'm, I'm firstborn. So You're the oldest I'm, I'm of how many? Of three. Okay. So I'm the leader passing it down to you how do you because normally if most i notice that most of people in music are usually the younger person you know there's always an older sibling that's passing the the music down here listen to this this is james brown this is kind of nobody but my aunt janice you know like i told you my mother worked for ma bell right and my aunt janice who moved mm -hmm. up from north carolina would keep me during the day and she could sing like aretha franklin real real talk but she would really? only sing in she would only sing in church so during the day when my mother would be at work she'd be like micah micah owen is what she called me get up on the table and put on a <laughs> show for me <laughs> and she'd put me on the table and you know have me sing different songs the jackson five particularly and uh, uh -huh. you know that's kind of where my love for music and performing came from my aunt jenny so i, I assume that at one of these concerts you saw the Jackson five perform, like, would you say that that was like one of the more memorable concerts that you saw or? Oh yeah. Well, the five, there were a lot of, there were a lot of uh, young groups. The five stair steps may have been the first group that I saw at the Apollo of young guys right. and black ivory actually performed at the RKO on Jamaica Avenue in Queens. Speaking of Leroy Burgess, yep, Leroy Burgess, yep, right. Yep. When I saw them perform, I'm like, wow, I can do that. I can do that. Cause I don't, I think they're just slightly older than me. Right. Um, and when I saw that they were able, able to perform and, and actually make a living at it, I was like, wow, I can do this. Were, were the stair steps actual musicians in concert? Because, yeah, um, based on their uh, albums, the I know that it was studio musicians, but I know that Kenny. Burke Kenny Kenny player. Burke played Kenny Burke played on stage. I, my memory doesn't serve me how well he played at that time, but he was right. definitely he was definitely playing on stage back then at the Apollo.
when did when did you start your um well you talked about uh as far as yeah. your musical development <laughs> was concerned was that a school thing that school uh encouraged or did you get it on your own no i was i was really i went to egghead schools i was bust to schools and you know i was very much into magnet kid math and science to be honest i was really an egghead but my best friend, this uh, this kid, Robert Fontaine, he and my mother, Lorraine Fontaine and Shirley <laughs> Austin, they could not be separated. And she was like, uh, they dressed the same, they hung the same. So Rob was her child. So we became close friends. Even though he was a couple of years older than me, right. he had a band. And of course, he didn't want to let me in the band because I was too young. I was like a little twerp. Um, but eventually, two of the band members, especially the singer, they started getting into drugs and everything. And my mother was like, you should hear Michael sing. I'm telling you, you should hear him sing. And so I started singing with that band. And that's how I, you know, initially got my start singing and performing. And the band was the Soul Shakers. And I don't know if you know Ronnie Drayton. You know that name? Yes, Ronnie, the, the late Ronnie Drayton, correct? Yes, the late Ronnie the late Drayton. Ray, he Ronnie was Drayton. The, yes, indeed. He was the drummer in the band. Wait, isn't Ronnie related to Flav? Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah. William I don't know Drayton. if he. Okay, yeah. I I might be mistaken because there's another Drayton that I met that used to work at Tower Records that is related to Flav. I know that Flav came from a large family, but no, Ronnie's not related to, okay. to Flav. No, no, no. Well, we grew up two blocks from each other. He lived around the corner from me, and also growing up, he was kind of inspirational for us because he left the band as a drummer and said, "I'm going to be a guitar player. I'm going to start playing guitar." We're like, uh why don't you stick to drums because you're such a good drummer? But eventually, he kept going at it. He got a gig with the Chambers Brothers. And so they were going on the road. And we were, you know, we were kids and pro kids. And we would go around the corner and watch him being picked up by the band, the station wagon with his amps and everything. And we're like, wow, he's really, he's really doing it. So he was an inspiration at all as well. It just hit me that Ron used to play with uh, Nona Hendrix. That's right. That's he how, was really her band leader. Yeah. Edwin Bird's song, Nona yeah. Hendrix. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's yep. he's he's a legend. You uh, know, very, very sad to see see him pass. He was he, at our age, he was like the most serious musician. I mean, I grew up around a lot of really talented funk bands, like in my neighborhood in Jamaica, Queens. Literally every other block there was a there was a band. There was a funk band. Mother Night, you know, Eddie Eddie Martinez. Of course, the legendary Eddie Martinez. Yeah, uh, Mother Guitar Mother Storm, Night was DMCs, one of us. Rockbox, yeah, and, Rockbox, yeah, 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 yeah. They were one of our local bands, I and mean, we had some hella funky bands back then. Yeah, where, where would these shows happen? At high schools or gym? Like how? Like, give me a typical rundown of okay. If you have a neighborhood band, one, where do you rehearse? Because I know that at least for the Midwest. Families with garages, you know, hence the term garage band, like that's where bands are formed. But if you're in New York City and you form a band, first of all, where do you rehearse at? We're in Jamaica, Queens. Everybody oh. had a garage and a basement. Right. So okay. you're, either, you're, either re you're either rehearsed in the basement or the garage. My next door neighbor was mm -hmm. um, Eddie Hazel's father, Eddie Hazel Sr., what he lived next door to me. Wow! So the Parliament back in the day would come and 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 fool around in the backyard. You know, uh -huh. basically give parties. But his father, 
he he did all the processes in the neighborhood, all the hair processes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say everyone in Parliament could also do hair. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Put that line yep. in your hair, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm saving that hair chapter until Amir gets there because we got to talk about that. <laughs> wow, so oh, that's crazy. Who who else mm-hmm. were your were your contemporaries growing up? As far as like who you went to school with or other band people? Well, yeah, when I was in um, public school, it was really you asked about how where we would gig. There were yeah, like five or six local clubs. There was the Club Ruby. The Linden Manor, there mm-hmm. was, after Rochdale Village was built, there was a big concert venue there. Everybody would play it. There were a lot of clubs. There were a lot of bars, local bars, and they all had bands. I mean, we're talking before DJ, before they realized, oh, we can just get a DJ to come in. You know, right. we mm-hmm. get rid of, every, everybody would gig. There were bands like the Firebolts, um, who were really kind of the leaders for us local bands because they had it organized so they played, they gigged every weekend. Like they mm-hmm. always had shows for different cotillions and there were a lot of gigs back then. And um, mm-hmm. when we were, we were like the band under them. So we would sometimes be the opening act, basically the floor show. Is this a thing where you can, if you're that top band, can you make a, a, a nice living? Well, first of all, how old are you doing this period? I'm like 13, 14 15? So you can go into a nightclub and do a show and it's not like 21 yeah, because and older culture wasn't a thing yet or no, my mother was a momager so and and she uh, she was a she was a beauty <laughs> so nobody said no to Shirley no so said, okay. she would kind of she was kind of book us on gigs and then like I said during that era everybody was a member of a social club so there would be a Shinnecock um, rod and gun club and they would give an annual event. There might be the um, a motorcycle, the the Batback band was the official band for like the um, Linden Boulevard biker biker club. Really, and they would oh, all okay. have event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would oh. they rehearse on Linden Boulevard, not far <laughs> from where I grew up. I didn't know the Fatback was from there. Okay. Yeah, Fatback is from Linden Boulevard. Yep. Wicky wacky for like thirty <laughs> minutes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about their shows. So all these social clubs, they would have a cotillion where they'd bring out the young ladies. There would be a lot of events you could play. You could really make a living. I mean, I was a kid and I was, I'm making like a hundred dollars a weekend all the time. And you know, back in that, that's a era, lot of no, that's, that's a, a lot, lot of money, money for a teenager. Period. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah yeah. Back then, what? <laughs> at what point for you at least are you even considering making this a profession? And and I'm I gotta not, know. I know that the group Clear played a a, a, yeah. a role in your life. <laughs> yes. 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 So, yes. so I'm I'm not there yet because I'm really like I said I'm an egghead. I'm going to Brooklyn Tech. Or I'm gonna be. I'm gonna work for NASA. That's my. That's that in my dream. head. That was my. That's in my head. That's that's what it was. I'm going to NASA. But I was in the band, the Soul Shakers, and at some point we were like, eh, let's try and see if we can get better." And a young lady named Lala LaForest Cope, who wrote Lala. You Give Good Love. Yeah. The Lala. Lala. Okay. The, the Lala, Lala yeah. joined the band. So Lala changed a lot for me because she was, she was like the first female rebel who always said, well, why not? 
Why can't we get this? Why can't we do that? Why can't? I was more like in pocket, like, oh, come on, let's see, we'll, we'll get it. Slow down, slow down. So once her energy came into the band, we were forever seeking the better drummer, the better bass player, the better guitar player, the better oh. sound system, the better gig. So she changed a lot for me, you know? And um, Just so we can make it clear. I know you mentioned it earlier, but I, I want to make it clear. Um, for our listeners that don't know, uh, La La wrote Whitney Houston's very first uh, single, You Give, you give Good Love. love. You've give produced good, by Kashyyyk. Yes. Yeah, oh, thank yes. you for that. We yes. didn't want to admit we didn't know who Lala was, but we didn't. So thank you. Yeah. No, no, Lala. You know she made noise and she did some stuff with like Full Force and she we, she so kind of made noise as a either. solo artist around like eighty six, mm-hmm. eighty seven, eighty eight. Anyway, sorry. Yep, yep. But but part of her thing was she would write songs way back then, and uh. I would kind of fool around with ideas imitating other people's songs, but she was the first person I was around who would just sit at the piano and make up a song and break your heart. And and she was in the band and we would do gigs and uh, she would sing like songs like Gladys Knight and the, the Gladys Knight song, um, uh, Last Train, what is it? Last Midnight Train, train to Georgia. I'm leaving, Midnight, and she would, she would tear the house down. She would do things like Billie Holiday. She just wow. had that soul and that spirit that she would tear the house down with these songs. And songs like You Give Good Love, she was writing those songs when she was 16. She was already writing. She, wow. she had written that. She had written 10 of those by the time she was 16. Wow. So that kind of made me start noticing, you know, that, oh, this songwriting is a thing. Songwriting is really a thing that you should be focusing on, particularly, you know, in the band thing. So... Moving on, we, we, we got into this band called Jack Sass, the Jack Sass Band. Mm-hmm. Um, former members um, included like uh, a lot of local talent in Jamaica, Queens, and really good musicians. Um, so we really had to step up the bar a little bit. But our band, we were playing all over the East Coast. We would play the Jersey Shore. We would play Miami. We would play Virginia. But we couldn't get a record deal. Okay. So along this time, this guy comes to town. We used to play this club uptown called The Cellar with okay. band, this band, Kinky, Kinky Fox. I don't know if you know Timmy Allen. Um, they were like, they would play one weekend, we would play another weekend. So this okay. guy, Fred Petrus, Little Macho Music, who produced Fred the band Petrus. Change and BB. He did Change, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. BBQ. Yes. So. So he comes to town. I'm still deciding if I'm really going to do music. So he comes to town and um, he says, hey, I really like you guys. I want you to be, he had this record out um, called Peter Jacques Band, which was a huge hit in, in Europe. He's like, I want you to guys to tour and pretend you're Peter Jacques Band. So we're like, okay, because you know, he's going to pay us. He's gonna put well, basically, we didn't record anything on the album. But we oh, were going to okay, perform, yeah, at, just be, be the touring thing. act of Peter Jock's band, and we would right. be the artist. Right. So that kind of fell apart. But then he called me one day and he said, um, hey, Murphy, I want you to introduce me to bands in, in the city, all the best musicians, and I want you to work for me. I want you to work in my office. I want, I'll teach you publishing. I'll teach you recording. I'll teach you everything. But just connect me with all the bands. And so I did because I knew – 
I knew all of the musicians. Not I didn't know all of the studio recording musicians because in New York at the time they were really they kept it real tight. You couldn't even get you couldn't get a session. You couldn't get to record anywhere. They had it on lock. Fonzie Thornton, um, mm. color. They just they mm. had sessions. Yogi Horton, you know that right. whole crew. They had the session world on lock. So a band like ours didn't stand a chance. <laughs> but through through my relationship with him. He actually did bring me in to run his office and I would hook him up with the musicians and do demos. And I would go to the sessions when he was out of town, make sure everybody was recording, book the sessions, learn about publishing. And at that time it, it became real for me because I could connect my brain with the creative part on how this can, how this is a real business and how you can really, you know, how you can make things happen. Right. Right. So that's when, when I started, yeah. Yep, that's when I started to think about music as a real profession for me. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's one thing I wanted to ask about your tenure and your band when you were doing these club gigs. On an average, one, how long 
were you expected to perform at these these shows and how big is the repertoire like just in terms of i understand like every band had to know the top 40 so you had to have of every, course so how how does that work is it like every friday you go to the local record store you get all the 45s and you're like okay ah, damn we gotta learn too hot to trap by the commodores or like what's that process walk me through that process at the point where we got serious, we were rehearsing four days a week. And we were, oh, we, the shows, when, look, we went from being like a floor show band to actually having to hold down a club. And generally, you'd be booked Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's five sets, three nights in a row. So you had to have, and also we were doing originals. Because at that point, we, were, we started figuring out how to manipulate our sound and create a sound of our own. And Jack Sass right. actually... It was a really killing band. I don't know if you know uh, Liz Chisholm was the bass player. She's one of the original female bass players in New York, Liz Chisholm. Okay. Uh, Omar Hakim was an early drummer in the band. Legendary. Um, I mean, we were, we, we, were, we, were, we were pretty serious. Like, we were coming up on a funky rock thing. We were doing things like we were doing rare earth songs. We were doing, uh, we were just doing our own brand. We would we would hit them with with the top forty hit, but we'd also hit them with something that's in the vein, like a song by War, or you know, we were coming off a little bit left of center, but it was really okay. working. It was working. You you mentioned Queens, and also I wanted to know whether or not at the time was anyone like from the Jamaica Boys like in also in the sphere. I'm talking about like Bernard Wright, you know, uh, Marcus Miller, all those cats. Are they also? All those cats are in the mix. Um, Bernard Wright was in the junior Firebolts. So the Firebolts I mentioned earlier, who had really gotten it down to a science where they were gigging all the time for weddings. So they created a spinoff called the Junior Firebolts. And Bernard, w Bernard was in the Junior Firebolts. Um, Man, you're so popular you have your own sequel. Yeah. <laughs> all, these, all these bands were in the mix and all these bands were, were killing Okay, so you right now you led us to, to the point where you're learning the business. How how are you getting talked into being a tour manager? And at what point are you entering Clear's life? Like, because I remember, like, it's weird that I know like Intimate Connections is mm -hmm. is a staple, but I'll I'll admit that only after hip hop did I learn Intimate Connections because I always knew Clear because of like their early part in 1980 where they had the song called winners winners mm -hmm. never quit well, winners yeah win. right i'm so, around them this whole time so i'm in brooklyn tech high school and dennis king is the chief mastering engineer at atlantic studios right okay. on 50 on 59th street so we're he was someone who took interest in my early band jack sass and actually was the first person to ever take us into the recording studio so he worked at Atlantic, okay. and I would come home, and I would stop at Atlantic Studios, and he lived near me in Queens, and I would ride home with him. But that stop okay. entailed waiting around in Atlantic Studios, Columbus Circle. I'm telling you, I saw everybody record. Aretha. Mm -hmm. I saw the Stones come through there. Um, Ricky Lee Jones. I mean, like, everybody who was anybody. I'm talking the days when... Um, you know, all the, the actually the cats, a lot of the cats from Philly, the guitar player and the bass player, uh, Booker T. Jones, what's his name? The, the uh, 
keyboard player. They would all be around Steve there. Crapper, so I got to, Steve Crapper. Right. Yep. So so I got to kind of blend in through that and also view recording sessions and learn sessions. So Dennis at the time was working with the band Clear, who was from Baltimore, and they had one small record that didn't do a lot, but by the time the second record came, they were in demand to tour. So he obviously couldn't go on the road because he was a mastering engineer at Atlantic, and he knew I knew the road because I had taken my band everywhere, and I knew all the details, booking hotels, all of that. So he asked me to be their road manager. So the first tour, well, the first big tour I get to go on is Prince, Rick James, and Clear. Wow. I feel like Clear was the opening I feel like act for the... Clear was the opening act. <laughs> I thought I died and went to heaven. <laughs> I thought I died and went to heaven, brother. <laughs> what was that like? So, oh, it was crazy. I mean, I, I have actually pictures from the tour of uh, Prince when he was doing the jock strap and the three-step <laughs> right, right. ladder thing. I have, I, have, I have pictures backstage, Rick Jane, all, I have pictures of all the madness. Um, and he kind of, wow. uh, Rick had a, had kind of a crush on the clear girl. So, you know, he liked them as the opening act. And, um, we did, we must've done like 15 dates and I'm telling you, Prince, you please tell us what that killed was Rick. Like. <laughs> Prince killed. It was so funny because killed you know, Rick. Oh. He killed Rick every single city. He killed him. First, they started out, you know, the op it's the opening act. You might have six feet of depth, then they peel you off. And the next act, you know, have 12 feet of depth. They peel him off, and then Rick has his whole big show, right? Right. But Prince Prince had those stairs, and he had like a little light rig that said Prince. And I'm telling you, they were kicking ass and taking names every single gig. <laughs> I wanted it was to crazy. be a battle. Not it never was, was it a battle. That's oh, crazy. it was it was it, it was crazy. It was, and I'm standing there with my mouth open because, in a way, my band Jack Sass. We had this guitar player, Vic Vaughn. I hope he hears this. Vic Vaughn was as good as Prince. He was really? as good a guitar player and as good a singer. But he didn't have that, you know, that extra thing that makes you want to stick to the business. He ended up mm -hmm. he ended up moving to the Midwest, South Dakota, somewhere. Um, but we he was kind of the New York City embodiment of Prince. So when I saw Prince, I was like, wow. And it also made me kind of decide, you know what, I can do my own, I can come up with my own thing that's different than all of this, but I could do my own thing. So that's when kind of my road management dream turned into, you know, I want to create something. What were touring conditions like? Whoa, I'm so glad you're a tour manager because – it's like yeah, we're y'all know y'all know everything. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. musicians, y'all put the fires out. Sort of, you know, have very selective memory. But if you're touring in 1980, you know, a band like Clear, are you guys in a 15 passenger van? Are you tour bus status yet? What kind of hotels are you in? Like, I want to know like the boring stuff. Like, what is what is that like in 1980? It was it was right. It was correct. Um, Al Heyman was the tour promoter. Mm. So everything ah, was, say you, no you, more. Don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about the money. You just had to be there on time. Um, I always book connections. I don't even know if they're still in, in business connections, bus service. Um, you know, we had a budget for hotel rooms. Hotels were cheap back then. You could get, you could get decent hotels for $100. Um, it, was, it was smooth and correct. 
It was smooth. At the, at the height good. of it, <laughs> every per diem was solid. I was handling the money. Everything was smooth. At the peak, <laughs> I had three bands on tour together. I had Clear, Change, and BBQ all on oh, the road man. at the same time. The so, BBQ? And I was a little oh, twerp. Wow. I was a little twerp. <laughs> but I man, knew I knew cool. how you had to the keep right job, man. Because was, I always yeah. wanted to know about those groups and <laughs> yeah. never. Well, yep, yep. In the case, in the case of Change, of which I believe it was Jimmy Jam that revealed to me that Change was really, well, in name the 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 two Italian guys. Uh, yeah, um, Mauro Malavasi. Mauro Malavasi. Who were they in concert? How did that work? No, they never showed up to concert. They were studio musicians and brilliant ones. They had an amazing sound, and uh, Michael Brower would engineer most of the projects. It yep. was all the best mm. suit. Luther Vandross, who I also worked for on mm. the road. After, you did? I think it was like, yeah, I think oh, if like you story? saw the early shows, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the guy with the fog machine, and I was the guy with the spotlight, <laughs> and I was paid. <laughs> Luther, Luther paid his guys. It was crazy. I had to... Listen, I love working for Luther so much. And that was another point where I was like, wow, I love, I could, I, I want to, I want to entertain again. But I did one tour where I drove from New York City to Los Angeles for his, on his first tour, all down through Texas, myself and one other road guy. So I've, I've done, I've worn all the hats. I've worn like the roadie hat. I've worn the driving truck hat, hold the spotlight. I've, I've this, worn this all the hats. This is my favorite interview ever, man. <laughs> I, I did any of them know about your talent? Mick, did anybody know that no, you were? No, they didn't. They didn't know. Let me tell you a great story. We're on the road in South Carolina somewhere and Clear, we're touring with Clear. And David and I had made the record in Times of Passion. We made it like one weekend, actually like in one day, 24 hours. We made the record, went to the studio, got it out. I knew a couple of people at Atlantic because I had worked with, with um, Dennis and I had worked with Clear. And they always said to me, you know, because I was a good looking young fella. You know, like, hey, if you ever, if you ever make a record you. or something, why don't, you bring it, why don't you bring it to me? Let me hear it. So we made it <laughs> in Times of Passion. And one day I took it to Atlantic. They signed it the same day. But I didn't, I didn't make any noise because Clear, I was working for Clear. And I don't know if you know Woody. Woody was a little bit of a kind of jealous guy. <laughs> he would have been like, yeah, 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 exactly, mm. exactly. So we're on the road in South Carolina doing an outdoor date. And I'm carrying, you know, SVT bass amps? I've, you know those yeah, SVT Ampeg? Yes. Yes. I'm carrying an SVT bass cabinet to put below the bus and David's on the tour bus, and he's yelling, Mick, our song's on the radio. Our song's on the radio. <laughs> In time, really? the passion was playing on the radio. Oh, that's dope. And that's how everyone <laughs> found out that you were <laughs> yep. a singer. <laughs> so can you, well, since you already, you, you brought the great David Frank into the, the, the picture, can you explain mm -hmm. the story? What, am I to believe, and he told me this once, was was Madonna originally supposed to be in the system and you replaced her? Yeah, so what happened was we were all we all were we all kind of circulated around the music building on 8th Avenue and 36th whatever. Okay. Um, you know, all the bands rehearsed there, people would kind of share recording spaces like you'd have a space and you'd have it from 2 to 5 and someone else would have it from 5 to 9. So I got I got to back up because I got Dave in. I got Dave in Clear. Um, I got him to be oh, okay. the keyboard player in Clear. So what happened was um, Dennis King 
was putting together the tour for Clear, and they didn't have a keyboard player. So one night he took me to this club uptown, and he said, yeah, come with me. I want you to see this singer. Um, you know, I, I want you to see this singer, and then tell me what you think. So we go to this club. I didn't think much of the singer, and I said to him, hey, that keyboard player's really good. I mean, you should maybe you should consider him from Clear. But they were playing kind of like Steely Dan style. You know, it, wasn't, right. it was nothing like the electro that you come to know David as. Mm -hmm. You know the player you come in. So he did that. For, he did that tour. This was not the Rick James tour. It was the next tour. He did that tour. And when I when I would work, I guess I would sing sometimes, or I would sing along to songs, not making anything of it or paying attention. But um, one day, he had, he had cut this track that he'd been working on because he got a DSX, a DMX, and he got an Oberheim, which he actually kind of bought it with another one of the musicians in the music building. Right. So out of the blue, he calls me and he says, hey, I, I, I wrote this song and, you know, Madonna was supposed to sing it, but, you know, Steve Bray wants to put guitar and they want to put this on it and that. And I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So he was like, well, why don't you come to the loft and listen to it? So I go to his shared loft in the music building. Right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm expecting because I've only heard him play in the clear mode, which is kind of jazzy soul with some funk, basically. And that's not what I wanted to do either. I wanted to do something completely different musically than that. So mm -hmm. I get there and he says, well, you know, listen to it. Tell me what you think. He hits the button and it's the track of In Times of Passion. Thought I died and went to heaven because it was exactly what I, what I had been thinking of. Because I was thinking if, what if you put Rick James and Kraftwerk together what would that sound like <laughs> and when he hit when he hit that button i was like this is this is it you know this is, this is what like i've that. been looking for i hadn't yep he said well yeah madonna was gonna and i knew madonna too there's a story there too Say he it. said yeah madonna we'll was, take it okay well when when i when i was in the band when i was in jack sass we used to play at the queen's college rathskeller um she would play on wednesdays and my band would play on thursdays so I knew her from that. So, you know, you know how you go and check the competition out. I'd gone to check her out then. Right. And, join, and, you know, and we also knew each other around the, the music. Mick Murphy, all you want to do is fuck me, Mick Murphy. That's all you want. That's all. <laughs> she was like that. She was like, she was like, you know, I knew she had the attitude, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know what, how far she was going to take it. So anyway, David said, yeah, Madonna was going to record it, but she backed out at the last minute. Can you, can you record it? And I'm, I said, well, what was the title she had? He said, um, Crimes of Passion. I said, okay, let me see what I can come up with. And I was just singing along with the track, kind of humming and kind of Crimes of Passion, kind of fooling with it. He was like, that's great, that's great. Now go home and write the song. I'll pick you up in the morning. We'll go to the studio and record it. I'm like, write the song. <laughs> right. Write tonight, and we're going to record it tomorrow. So, you know, I, I had had the dream of what I wanted it to sound like, but I had no idea what I wanted to say. So somehow I stayed up all night. David came to pick me at my mother's house in Queens at like seven o'clock in the morning. We go to the studio in Long Island. We recorded all day. We laid on the parts. I sing all the leads, all the backgrounds. Um, we mix it. Um, and the next oh, wow. morning when he drops me off at my mother's house, I had a big sound system in the basement because I always owned the band's PA. So mm -hmm. I put the cassette tape in. And I played it, and I was like, this is, this is the one. If you don't do something with this, you're never going to do anything. So 
I immediately, like at nine o'clock, I called Dennis King. Hey, Dennis, um, can you can you cut a couple acetates of this thing I cut yesterday? So he said, sure. So I went to the studio, Atlantic. He cut mm-hmm. three acetates, of which I have, I have two of them now. Um, wow. Okay. And I went and I went to the two people who I knew in the record business who had said to me, if you ever if you ever come up with anything, let me know. One was Jim Delahant worked for Atlantic Records with Jerry Greenberg. Okay. Um, and the other one was, was uh, RFC Records. And they, you know, they were big because they had Gino Socio and they had, they had a lot of really popping electro soul records. Gino Socio. So uh, I went to... Gino Socio. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, and so I went, he, he's the president of Mirage, is he not? Yeah, he was the president. But he, at the time, he was president of Atlantic. He had just come, stepped down from being the president of Atlantic. So, he was, I oh, to, so he was the president of Atlantic. He was the president of Atlantic, yes. But when but he was forming his own label. And I think he had only he had signed uh he had only signed one act so far. So I take the record to Jim Delahant and I said, Jim, just cut this. He plays like 30 seconds of it and he says, Hold on a second. And he disappears through a door and out comes Jerry Greenberg. My jaw's on the ground because Jerry is the cheese. I mean, he's he's the man. Yeah. He comes out, he kind of looks at me, sits in his chair, turns around to face the speakers. I'm looking at the back of his head. He listens to like 30 seconds of it, and he turns around and he says, got yourself a record deal. Just like that. One day. Wow. One day. It was that easy. <laughs> it, well, yeah. <laughs> at that moment. At that moment. And um, the record came out, and it, it, it caught a fire. It really did. It caught a fire. So this wasn't a case where you had to, like, a relationship with Larry LeVan or someone to, like, yo, play my thing, test it out in the crowd and see how it works. So you just instantly had an end with the brass at Atlantic. Absolutely. And thank God Frankie Crocker mm, loved definitely. the record. Mm, okay. Frankie Crocker loved the record. He ran it into the ground. And, he, you know, Frankie was a DJ at the time. If he liked something... He's playing it. He doesn't care what the trend is. He doesn't the care genre. what anybody says. Yeah. Hmm? Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he played that record to death. And then, um, you know, as far as the system, the rest is history. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You said something really interesting about your interaction uh, with David Frank. And what you said was he pressed a button. Mm -hmm. So can you explain to me at the time your willingness to embrace kind of a new culture, which is program, you know, at at the age of, you know, sort of 79, 80, new drum machines are being invented, new synthesizers are being which I could imagine could be intimidating. Because the thing is, is that there's a watershed moment for black music um, after the the sort of post-disco fallout where a lot of these bands that were foundational, um, name them, like uh, Brass Construction, uh, Mass Production. Mass uh, Production, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the same. Any band with like eight niggas on the cover, right, like exactly. you, you just know what it is. Confunction, yeah. no, no, no cameo, real, same real, thing. No, real talk. I was already there because I was already <laughs> I was already listening to Kraftwerk. I was listening to Yazoo, the Eurythmics. I was eating ah. up. I was eating up every so were, record were that was like coming Gary out Newman of the UK. And of like course, early, early Gary of Newman. Of course. Of course, the Thompson. I was, I was Thompson there already. Twins. I mean, I was, I was eat, I was eating off of soul and funk, but I was right. already there because of what you're saying. I had been on the road with brass and fifteen pieces, and tw- I'm like, how are these guys making money? How? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like this is this makes this makes no sense to me. I don't get the math here. And you know, but, there were a lot of there were a lot of brass construction like. Bands, Fazio, right. all these bands from from the Midwest. I was like, can't how? We interviewed wow, everybody. <laughs> so, so I was, I was. Mm-hmm. We we've interviewed all those bands. I was just laughing. Yeah, we we've interviewed. <laughs> them. And the yeah. thing is, the thing is, though, is because um, you know, even though I was like nine in eighty, like when like terms like new wave were being invented and all those things, I'd never truly understood or got a chance to ask a guest on the show like is is this a titanic sink or swim moment for you like do you learn new technology or do you just you know defiantly say no i'm gonna keep my horn section and these fender roads and this <laughs> clavinet <laughs> let me tell you the, the one of the reasons why i love jack sass so we had we always had great drummers but a lot of times they were nowhere to be found when it was time to do. We had this cat, Lino Reyes. I don't know if you know who he is. Lino Reyes. He play, ended up playing with Rick James. But we had a couple gigs lined up, and he just didn't show up. And I had bought a rolling drum machine, like a little mini 808. 
I was like, right. come on, guys, we can we can use this for the gig. Let's just do the gig. <laughs> and they laughed me out of rehearsal. They laughed me out of rehearsal. But I was like, all right, you know, somebody's somebody's working on this. And I, I'd already been geared up, you know, reading NME out of the UK. And like you said, Gary Newman, all these bands and my image. I was already dressing new wave and I was always thinking new wave, but I didn't know how to create it on my own with the with the musicians that I had around me. So I was already playing with technology and drum machines and all that kind of stuff when I met Dave. Can I just ask a question about radio? Because you mentioned that like Frankie Crocker popped off your popped you off on radio. And I'm curious since you mentioned a new wave, like so what happens after that? How do they decide, okay, we're going to continue to service these black radio stations we're gonna service the pop radio stations like how does that ha- what happens after frankie response the response of the people calling in what is that actually when that record first played you know who m2, m2 may is right yes, yes. oh yes yeah so m2 may like two days later m2 may called and said man i heard your record and i had to pull onto the side of the road outside of the Midtown Tunnel. What are you doing? I'm, I'm doing a session now. He was doing Juicy Fruit. He was recording that at the time. Mm. And he invited David wow. and I to play on that session because he wanted that. He Yeah, we're, we're he we told on us that, that session. I well, forgot. Yeah, he said yeah. that he revealed yeah, yeah, it. Yes. Yeah. He told yeah. us this. So, it does sound familiar. So we, we went, yeah, we went and played on that session and we started getting... We started getting a lot more calls, like from the UK, come to the UK, produce this artist, and groups in in you know in in America also. Hey, produce us! Can you give us give us some of that that system funk? So we started doing pretty much right out of the box. So they never put you in a radio box. So you were never just in the Frankie Crocker in urban box. Well, we you know everybody starts in the urban box, but once you start breaking out, don't forget we had. Um, you know, after after the results of that record starting to take off like that, um, I had another meeting with Jerry, and he was like, "Yeah, you guys want to do a twelve inch?" And because of what I had learned with Petrus, I was like, "Now we want to do an album." Well, what would you what would you give us for the t- to do a twelve inch? And he gave us a number, and I was like, "Give us double that. We'll do an album." Now we had already been we had already been writing songs, like we had already been working on songs. So basically, our process in recording was. We would get together and maybe spend a couple hours. David might have some ideas he's working on. We'd do an arrangement. I'd work on a vocal. I'd sing a melody. And, you know, we basically had seven songs for the album already. So it was basically we'd go into the studio, record all the parts he had pre-recorded. Now, I don't want people to think that pressing a button means you're just pressing a button and something's coming out that's been pre-recorded. There's a lot... That yeah. that song in times of passion. If you ever listen to it, he's using an OB8. He he made four different keyboard sections on the instrument. Yeah, I was going to say, was MIDI a thing back then? Yes, MIDI was a thing. MIDI was just becoming the thing. Because I always wanted to know, like, yeah, you guys had intricate arrangements, especially on that first record. And I was trying to figure out, like, are you programming this in real time, or is this MIDI? Like, is MIDI culture in '83? I never knew where MIDI came. So, no, he's playing. He's playing in real time, but as you know, you can either sequence it or you can let it play in real time. So wow. he's recording it. He's really actually he, David is a is a great physical player, like great. 
So he was he divided the keyboards into different sections. So there might be one section, of course, on the lower end that's the bass, and another section might be a pad. Another section might be a little squeaky thing, which you could you could you could change programs while you're recording, and it would record the program changes. So those sounds like do do is him basically pressing different program buttons, right. and then you had the drum machine. So you have you know you could have six, seven, eight parts would play back automatically, you know? And none of this was intimidating um, at all? No, because after we, when we did In Times of Passion, I kind of knew how the system could work and how we could take it to another level um, with the instrument because basically you had, you were basically, it was a digital recording. You know, without tape, you could record all the songs except for the vocals because they had nothing at that time where you could actually record the vocals and still be in sync with everything. So... Being someone who had played in bands five shows a night, I could I could hit it on a dime, like every gig, the harmonies, all that. Before I get into sweat and you're in my system, there's one thing I, I always wanted to know. You know, at this time also, like hip hop is also finding its legs and developing. And, you know, pretty much, I guess the, the, the modus operandi of hip hop was, was kind of like, okay, there's no more music lessons in school so we got to figure out how to make music ah we'll make hip-hop and you know i'm certain that you're growing up and and you know are a first-hand witness to this culture as it's starting how how did that not call you and you still maintain like singing and traditional r&b and funk like you could well and, yeah you've done yeah, yeah. rap on your records and i gotta ask you about that too but uh not really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um actually if you listen to some of our stuff, those beats are actually imitating some of the hip hop that was coming around. Yeah. Um that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, why uh, didn't you just uh, Africa Bombada? Mm. Because I thought there was a place for melodics and storytelling in the way I could. I wasn't a rapper. I was I wasn't a rapper. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was still a place uh, for the context of what I was doing over these bombastic beats that would still work. So, and there were other guys who were just, they were just doing it so much better. And I just had to remain kind of authentic to what the system is. That was what I was leading into. Because the thing is, is that, you know, the kind of, the genre of freestyle, you know, uh, the, the kind of Stevie B-ish. Shannon. Yeah, Planet Rock-ish. Mantronic sort of mm -hmm. 808 led breakdancing music, uh, which is clearly more on the hip hop side of the fence than, you know, there's some other guys like, I don't, I don't know their names, like the guy that's saying like, yo, little brother, or Nolan Thomas. Nolan Thomas. How do you know that, oh, yeah. Monte? Yeah. Uh, I'm in a group called Little Brother. Nucleus jam on it. That was another yeah, one. Yeah, or even Nucleus. like yeah. the the street dance guy. I forget his name. Uh and I'm gonna bam. I, I forget his name. But yeah, like however, it's it's like the particular lane that you guys occupied, even though it has the ingredients, like I know like the DMX was was sort of the 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 secret weapon. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you guys weren't using a Lin drum and you weren't using an 808. Yet I almost feel like, you know, between what Prince was developing, which was more purple print, whatever I call it, purple music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the freestyle stuff that was more closer to Shannon, 
you know, uh, you know, like the the, the Shannon freestyle breakdancey nucleus stuff. You guys were closer to New Jack Swing to me, minus mm-hmm. minus the Go Go overtures. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. What I'm saying is the seeds, like your your beats were hard enough to rap over, and mm-hmm. it's kind of a space that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis weren't occupying just yet, because they were in 808 mm-hmm. territory. But right. I, what I wanted to know is like how. Like as far as you like going to nightclubs and whatnot, like are you guys saying to yourself like, "Yo, we got to compete with these loud ass drums"? And no, but did you hear "Baptize the Beat" ever? Baptize the Beat, yeah, our, the Beat Street soundtrack. Our record, ba- yeah, our record, yeah. "Baptize the Beat." That was okay. that off kilter. We were doing it. We just were doing it our way, and we were listening to everything that was going on. And you know, my lesson was always. Be different. Just, just stay. Just stay the course and be different. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen. While I'm looking to spend all this money. What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I, I have a Prince question. Has anyone played you his version of You're in My System? Yeah, I've heard it. Yes. Yes, oh, I have. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, know, most, it's mostly Lon and him kind of. Okay, so in, in light of in light of the um, the Beatles documentary that, you know, is on Disney now, the Get Back documentary, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I feel is 100% fascinating. People not baptized in music will say that it might be a little excessive for nine hours of watching them try to make a record 
However, Love it. I think that's a very important documentary only in the fact that you truly get to see how records get made, which in the case of the Beatles, it seems like they're two default go-to places whenever they get stuck for an idea. Like Paul will tend to go back to earlier Beatles songs. So he'll go back to, you know, he'll start mm-hmm. singing mm-hmm. Lovely Rita Meter Maid or something. <laughs> right. he'll, he'll go back to that. And John Lennon's go-to thing is either Little Richard or Chuck Berry. Like yep. every three seconds, mm-hmm. he's like, wop, bop, loop, bop, wop, bamboo. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when you're writing songs, you have to do, you know, I've, I've gone on record to say like, you know, D'Angelo and I would do entire Prince albums and then one song will spark an idea like, wait, wait, wait keep on doing that again. And then you morph into another song. So, um, and in the case of Prince, I always wondered and obsessed over the fact that when he's creating music, like, is he aware of other music at the time or is he just in his own private bubble in which, you know, he's just alone, isolated and coming up with this brilliant stuff? Or is he actually aware of what black music is doing and then creating his own thing? And kind of, you know, I finally got my answer in hearing. So, you know, I, I, I you know, after he died, then suddenly like just a whole mountain load of of. Prince uh, sound checks and mainly like mm-hmm. his sound checks to me, like tell the the best story of his creativity. Cause you know, he'll riff on a line for five hours in a row before it's lunch break. And so there's a moment, um, <laughs> there's a moment where kind of at the tail end of the, of the, the 1999 rehearsals before they go on the road, you know, they pretty much, they play, you know, karaoke. And yeah, for yep, them, yep. but the the reason why you know people often ask like, well, why didn't he learn the song? I think the whole the whole idea is not to learn the songs or to learn the changes. Like you learn one part of it, and hopefully, if you repeat it enough, then it becomes something else. And there's a moment where you clearly, like in in this forty minute version of "You're in My System," he will eventually morph that into what we know as the bird but it's Ooh. it starts i find it fascinating that once once you know once i spent a year just listening to those sound checks then i realized like oh so he listens to modern radio and then learns it and then tries to unlearn it and morph it into his music yeah. like how did I mean, to, yeah. to know what he morphed into. I know back then it probably wasn't obvious that he was going to be king or like a god in yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm certain that it has to feel somewhat like validating that you're definitely one of the pegs that helped him climb to a hit, which is, you know, the bird for the time. Yeah, no, it it, it feels good. I mean, if you're trying to get around to how, to, how David and I, right? I don't do that at all. With, with David. So our process is more, David thinks more like he's Beethoven. <laughs> I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm being, I'm being well, honest with you. Based on he his thinks more, work, I believe you. Yeah. He's thinking, yeah, does it fit into the context of what's going on now in music? No. That's kind of my job to edit that music together. Because sometimes if you hear long landscapes of 
some of the things we have or what they became. There's modulations and then there's time. So I kind of, I'll inspire him when he thinks an idea is no good. Like he played during my system for me, the bass line, because we, we, we were working on the album, I would go, we'd spend two, three hours, you know, writing songs because we both had uh -huh. to do other gigs to survive. And that was one idea that he was like, nah, I, don't, I don't know. What, what do you think? I don't like, I'm like, stop. <laughs> I'm like, stop. Oh, yes, yes, that bass line. I'm like, no, stop. Give it to me. So a lot of times it would be like, what he thinks is the chorus, I think is the verse. He'll have a B section. Maybe he thinks that's the A section. But I will edit it together. Even back then, from the beginning, I'll edit it together and move things around to make it be what I hear as not commercial, but something that, that I could sing over and somebody else could sing over, you know, people ain't singing over modulations and people ain't singing over, you know, so I will edit into a piece and I'll send it back to him and say, Hey, try this. And then we'll take it a step further. He'll be like, Oh yeah, I never thought of that. And we'll take, no, that's not, he'll be like, no, that's not the chorus. That's the verse. I'm like, let me, <laughs> give me, give me a minute. <laughs> let me, <laughs> let me ride this out for you. Let me get sexy on you. Let me show you. And then you will come up with a, you're in my system. So that's kind of how it works, and that's kind of how it's worked throughout our career. You know, wow. we, we we never I, – I don't listen to anything else and suggest, hey, we need something that sounds like this. Okay, so he may have 10 ideas on a, on a cassette and send them to me, just little pieces. Right. And I'll say, I like this piece, this piece, and that piece. Let's work on these, and we'll work on it. I'll be like, we need a B section, or we need a, we need a chorus. We need the chorus to hit more, and we'll work on that, and we'll mold it. And slowly but surely, I'm saying slowly and surely, but sometimes only within an hour or two hours, we'll have the shape and the form of a song. Wait a minute. I'm so glad I'm talking to you right now because there's two questions I've been dying, dying to ask you or Frank. And I can't believe this is the moment. First of all, one, one of the secret sauces in the group, in my opinion, was always... You gotta please tell me about uh, the great Paul Pesco on guitar. Next, what 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 David Williams is to Michael Jackson, you know, David Williams has probably been the most consistent, steady thing in Michael. Like, not even Michael Jackson is consistent and steady through his career, through you know, creativity, physicality, whatever. David Williams is mm -hmm, almost mm -hmm. the most consistent. The sound of his guitar from like that line in Billie Jean to wanna be starting something. Like the sound of that loud pluck guitar. I think next to David Williams, Paul Pesco has one of the most distinctive act sounds. Like he's well, speaking of Madonna, uh he's yeah. that work on uh I think Lucky Star, that's him. Yep, yep. He's on he's on a lot of that stuff. Oh, he's the um the um Ah, CNC Music Factory. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. He's, on all, he's on a lot of stuff. Hall of Notes, like adult education, all that. Tell me about Paul Pesco. Like, I, I never heard any stories about him. Yeah. So, Paul is just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, we, This Is For You, is Paul Pesco. I don't know if you know our song, This Is For You. Uh-huh. This is for you. He's, yeah. he's the guy... He's the guy, really, him and him and David, they would get together and cook up some things. This is for you as one. I want to okay. make you feel good. 
That's Paul right, and okay. David cooking up that that plectrum on. I want to make you feel good. The lines. Yes. He's he's basically like a line and a kachinka guy, but also he's he's very cordy. He knows his chords. He knows how to create atmosphere and mood. Um, just a brilliant guy. I love I love the guy. I love the way he plays. I love the way he thinks. Okay, my second question. When you know your 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 first record comes out when I'm twelve. And I swore to God, I swore up and down, because I swear that's your voice I'm hearing. I swore up and down. There was a, there was a local hit. Well, I don't know if it's a local hit or a local group, New York group. I need to know, did you have anything to do? There was a song that you, you used to always play in Philadelphia. It's the name of the song. It's not Attitude. It's a song called We Got the Juice. Do you yeah, know the song? <laughs> Yeah, of course I know. We produced Attitude is our group. We created you We did a jam in Lewis. Okay. We did a jam in Lewis. We created that group. You um, lied. Bernard singing on that. I'm singing Lala, Chris Kello. That's that's because I swear I hear basically. your voice. No need to fight. Like you you always yell yeah. shit on your records. <laughs> no need to fight. Ain't no use. Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, and I, that's when us. I was a kid, I always thought that was the system. And yeah. someone corrected me like at a record store once, and I never, you know, I, I forgot it, the name of the song. But I always swore that "We Got the Juice" was like the follow up. So that was Bernard Fowler's group, or no? Well, that was that. Look, I was following the Fred Petrus model. <laughs> you have a band, <laughs> you have right. a band, the system, and then you can expand that sound to another use, <clears throat> kind of change the attitude of it, oh. and create a whole other bank of songs. We wrote all the Cindy Mizell sings on it, who was what? someone who sang a lot of, yeah, she sings on it. Lisa Fisher sings on it. Lala sings on it. Bernard Fowler sings on it. It was just our way to spread the juice. <laughs> but it was clearly, a, a that song could have been the next single on the System album, like, so obviously you're, you're you're saying you're creating your 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 not your competition sort of like Prince in the time like you had to grow your own crop. Yeah, exactly. To be honest, yeah, that's what we, that's what we were doing. Exactly what my that was my idea. I found out recently that um, Charlie XCX finally admitted to me that um, what's the name of the the EDM song that's. Uh, uh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. I don't care. I love it. Care. Yep. I love that song. Yeah, Charlie XCX basically admitted to me that that group never existed. They just found two models to sing that Front song. From the band. And, yeah, but she was more coming from the place where she felt that the song was so cartoony that no one would take her serious as an artist. So like the the compromise was, we'll still release the song, but. We'll do it under, like, it won't be a Charlie yep, XCS yep. record. I get it now. So did you just feel that yep. We Got the Juice wasn't, like, serious enough for the system, but it was still a good song that worked? No, well, we had, I think we had the system out re system record out then, and it was still climbing, and we were still touring it. And I really took a page out of Prince's book with the time, because actually I saw, I saw Prince at the Ritz, and the okay. time was the opening act. But I know it was Prince's band. They had on these black robe hoodie costumes. 
Right. You couldn't see their faces. So they were the band playing. And um, I was like, wow, we could we could do something like that in New York. We could like, I could, I could come up with another group. We have enough musicians around. I re- That was really the thinking, to be real honest with you. So was was that song also your version of the times wild and loose? <laughs> I, yeah, always was, felt, know, uh, I always Frankie felt the Clarker. lyrics were like derivative of wild and loose. Like that was your version of it. No, you know, I didn't. I really didn't listen to the time that much, except seven 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 ninety three eleven. That was <laughs> that was my joint back then. <laughs> okay, that was my joint. Um. S- no, Frankie Crocker had this saying on the radio, we got the juice. So I knew mm. we could come up with something using that, that he would play it. And he did. And it spread. It, it spread. It just. So how was, how was touring for you guys during this, when, when the album takes off? Well, I mean, that's, if I have any regrets, I kind of regret that we didn't turn the touring thing into a bigger thing. Because um, when the records took off, we had calls to produce records in the UK. We had call. We produced a lot of Howard Johnson, Nick and Valerie Simpson. Um, what did you work God, on? I can, Nick and Val. Yeah, it comes, like those. It comes, it comes with a package. You know that song? We did like three songs on that album. Okay. I think we're the only people ever produced to produce them. We did. Uh, God, we, we produced a lot of records, and I think that was an error for what uh-huh. we could have done, you know, from the live avenue. So we we did some big tours. We did Marvin Gaye's tour. That was a that was a big tour. We did Ready for you the World. You opened for Marvin Gaye? The yes, we Midnight did. Love yes. Tour? That's correct, yes. Can you please Sheila tell me e. what that was like? Oh. <laughs> Wait, was it you guys in uh, Imagination? Well, we did in the UK, we did do some dates with Imagination also because they were kind of a similar... We were in a similar vibe. Um, so he wanted somebody really contemporary to open. Yeah, and we had. I don't. Th- I'm not sure what. I, did we have Don't Disturb This Groove at that time? What year no, was that? No, that was '87. This is your and my system. This is like '83, '84. So it's probably yeah, the so Experiment he, Record and Sweat. Yeah, and it, it also may have been Al Heyman too, because you know I wanted neat, neat concert. Show up on time, do the gig, get on, get off, easy turnaround, no big nine piece horn band you know we right. we fit the bill in a lot of ways because we travel light um but that's kind of my one regret that we didn't really build up what we could do live with uh with the system all right y'all you know what season it is tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel and if you're like me you're already in your airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you're performing live, because the albums are so have very distinctive like electronic sounds how and you know also going off these prince rehearsals which i know he had to sort of turn serious miracles to get the sound of the studio to to duplicate that live like how easy is it to do that stuff live nah that was easy look we have we have a keyboard player, Chris Kello. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a phenomenal. Now he wrote. He he he's the one that did all the arrangements for Diane Warren. But he was a young kid. Oh, man. He was like maybe fourteen or fifteen. Um, when his mom, when I asked his mom, can you let him come on the road with us? She said, I'm putting him in. Wait, he was that young? What? <laughs> maybe he was sixteen. Maybe, <laughs> maybe him and him and Bernard Wright were arch rivals. In that area of Queens, they were both like idiot savant genius keyboard players. But all that sixteenth note, and he could do all of that stuff. So we Shit. really didn't have a live. Both him and David. David very dexterous, both hands keyboard. Chris very dexterous. Paul that was that was not the hard part. Hard part was kind of convincing David to maybe add a drummer or add you know what I mean. Add that other component that would right. allow us to have that push and pull that you know you can only get with a live band those hits mm -hmm. those accents the, you can only get that with a live band you know and have to playing with live bands i know you need that so and also it was very compelling all these production offers and you know you kind of just you write the songs you get the publishing you uh get the production fee you you know it's you're on the road, you're spending, 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 spending. You know what I'm saying? It was like that kind of balance of, you know, being away from home and Right. I I have I have a this is my night question. Of course, you know, you you and David are, are you're brought aboard by the great uh are, I always mess up his name. This guy's my my hero. Arif, Arif Martin. Arif Martin. Yeah, Arif Martin. Yep. Um yeah, how you know, Atlantic house producer and you know average white band he produced Brilliant. shaka khan's first like six solo records and you know it was a it was kind of a big deal when shaka's i feel for you album came out mm -hmm. in which you know this is clearly them acknowledging the power of hip-hop and where music is going 
So it's a less jazzy record and more leaning towards the future. But there's there's a question mm-hmm. I always had about this is my night. And this leads to a, um, I don't know if the grace period has passed that I can actually say the name of this particular Thursday night institutional comedy show that all of America religiously watched all the 80s. But there's a moment in in that particular black comedy show on NBC at 8 o'clock on Thursday. <laughs> what? Yes, that what? came up before Family Ties. So there, there's, there's an iconic episode. There's an iconic episode where uh, the youngest daughter, the brood, has a sleepover. And... Um, you know, one of the one of the kids that are having a sleepover is is, is Alicia Keys. So there's 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 a really funny, cool moment that connects you guys with this episode, in which kind of uh, just randomly call these two kids Theo and Denise, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, where where they are um, having a quickie like dance party with the kids. And they're dancing to a version of This Is My Night that is not the album version mm-hmm. of This Is My Night. And I make fun of Alicia Keys because she's the only kid in this in this group. If you YouTube it, um, Rudy Sleepover, like she's the only kid that clearly has two left feet uh, in, uh-huh. in the scene. It's funny, but it might assume that before that song was submitted to Shaka that you guys demoed it or because that version of This Is My Night is not the version from Shaka Khan, but it's clearly like a different... So I just wanted to know, like... I gotta hear it, but we demo, to be honest, we demo every song. <clears throat> we never go okay. in cold and record. So we demoed... So the the way that came about, we were recording at Atlantic Studios. Our reef was in Studio A. We were in Studio B, the hallway studio. Right. And um, we were working on Don't Disturb This Groove. And he came and asked, hey, you, you guys have anything for Shaka? And we worked on it like overnight. The next day, we turned it into him. And he was like, yeah, we're going to record it. But he also, Don't Disturb This Groove, you're, if you if you know the song, in the middle section, there's a female, right? Yeah. So we played mm-hmm. him Don't Disturb This Groove because we respected him. We respect him so much. Yeah. And he said, all you need to do is add the girl. Add the girl in the middle. That's all. And you have a you have a smash. <laughs> you have a, you have you have you have a smash. <laughs> so we added the girl in the middle, and we had a smash. <laughs> and she's and talking about the, the he was talking about the middle part, the in the hook. The, all I need is you. Yeah. No, part. no, 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 no. We had we had that already. We had that. Oh, okay, Just okay. Close the door and turn up phone. Yeah, yeah. The middle no, uh-huh. Gotcha, yeah, we gotcha, had gotcha. that hook already. We had everything, but the middle, we didn't have that. But he said, add the girl, add a girl in the middle. <laughs> Who was the girl on that? Who was the girl singing that part? We had Audrey Wheeler, Cindy Mizell singing in the chorus. And in Wait, Audrey Wheeler is, from uh, uh, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Uh, Unlimited Touch, Audrey Wheeler? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. She sings back just, on a lot of our stuff. You uh, can't just me. skip that fact. She's legendary. <laughs> BJ Nelson, that's ah, B, that's okay. BJ in the solo section. That's my girl. I love you, BJ. Yeah, BJ sang the the middle eight. Um, Audrey Wheeler, Cindy, I think sang with me on the hook, or maybe it was just Audrey and BJ on the on the chorus hook. Don't disturb. BJ sang the lead in the middle, the call and response. Okay, gotcha. What did you think of uh, Michelle's cover of that? I love her 
She oh. bodied that shit. So look, Michelle and Diego Cello. Yeah. Michelle that's and right. Diego oh, Cello. That's right. So so I co I, I co produced her first album, the first three songs. I got shafted out of the credit. I was I was a vocal what? producer. Plant, yeah. Plantation Lullabies. Yeah, wow. dread, dread dreadlocks dread girlfriend. Locks? Yeah, yeah. I produced that vocal. Damn, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I, I co-produced. Tell me this story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I got I got kind of shafted by the credit by someone who I brought up in the business wow. in the game. Who kind of Gamson? I ended up. I ended up. Gamson. Getting, yes, I was thinking Gamson. No, not Gamson. Gamson's my man. Bets. I got I got shafted. Ah, Andre Bits. On the credit. Right. Yeah. I got shafted on the credit. But um yeah, she acknowledged it. She said Okay. On, when the song was released, she said, for those in the know, McMurphy co-produced, you know, my first my first record. Yeah. I know she's about giving credit because wow. she ain't getting oh, hers yeah, for Brian. Yeah, yeah. She's, so. Yep. Yeah. I love I love I love Michelle. Love her from day one. Love everything she does, everything she touches. Um I'm I'm just uh, you know, I was I was so proud to actually i at to that point that was my proudest production moment really oh, honestly no. because you ain't even her whole record was so beautiful and just her attitude and you know i i, I love her and everything she does wow is there any other stuff you worked on that you that yeah, we don't know i, I co-wrote secret garden from madonna i didn't get a proper credit what? on that either uh... yeah yep so y'all did yep. end up working together Yes, yes, we did. And I wrote another song. So I wrote the song, um, Dear Father, which she called me up when she was working on the album. Oh my God. She called me up. She said, McMurphy, McMurphy, I'm going to make you rich. You're going to be, you're going to be rich, McMurphy. <laughs> Out of the book. But the song never made, <laughs> The song didn't make it on the album. And, and um, Secret Garden, I played, I played the instruments and the chords too. I didn't get any credit, but you know, life is life. Man. Uh, uh, another cat I wanted to ask you about from, from that era that was kind of moving and shaking, Shep Pettibone. Did you guys ever have any dealings or working together? Yeah, well, he remixed a bunch of system cuts, and uh, I know David played in a bunch of his remixes. Um, okay. But he did remix a bunch of system songs at some point. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, can you, can you please settle this once and for all? All right. I I recently found out that it wasn't you, but I will say that for the last thirty five years, I I would have put my life on the fact that you were the voice Soul Glow of Soul Glow. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! Really? No, that was that was that was Chris. That was uh, Christopher Mack. Yeah, yeah, I, that was Chris. That was Chris recently. Who we were? We were really good friends. You know, we were real. We were real friends, and we still we still connect. That was Chris Max, yeah. So since we mentioned Soul Glow, can I ask you about the hair and the maintenance? And because by oh. don't disturb this groove, it was um. Yeah, I had um, <laughs> I had I had a well started. My my first one of my first girlfriends was a hairdresser, so she taught me early to maintain, and she would like she would primp it and get it right, and it just it just it came became like a vegetable that just kept growing. <laughs> It took on a life of its own. Oh. Some Aquanet would help with helped with the. <laughs> nah, that damn. Uh, you know, I would I would tie it up at night. I would tie it up at night like a bouffant. <laughs> I love it. Like the girl, I sleep on a chair. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you see, I sleep on the pillows right here, just like <laughs> like in Friday when she doesn't let her hair touch the the bed. <laughs> yep.
Mick, do you remember uh, when you were, when y'all recorded? I know the song "Baptized Beat," but recording the scene for Beat Street. Do you remember anything yes, about yeah, that ve- day? Ve- what was that yeah, like? Yeah, very clearly. Um, well, it was at um, what's this club on Twenty Second Street? The uh, it was a roller skating rink. It, it was a roller skating rink on Twenty Seventh, Twenty Eighth Street, um, and everybody was there. All these different acts. And I know we we performed the song, and when we were done, they were like, "Next!" Mm-hmm. In the edits, they said "Next," but I thought we <laughs> right, had right. I thought we had the slam in the song. I thought "Baptized the Beat," and to this day, I think it's one of the most inventive songs lyrically, beat wise, changes the bridges, everything about it is yeah. it's 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 some fly shit. For me, it's it's nah, one of y- y'all were definitely better than Andy yeah, yeah. B. Bad uh, on that line. Would you make you sweat, make you sweat and wine? <laughs> Andy B. Bad, yeah, yeah he was. Like, you can tell when he playing his career, he knew like, yo, man, <laughs> I'm just in and out. I'm you're gonna be out of here, son. <laughs> Poor guy never had a chance. Wow. Yep. Yeah, so okay, can you there's the one thing I also wanted to know is how did the group dissolve uh after eighty nine? And you know, why didn't you guys sort of try to push it further past that point? So let's see, we had Don't Disturb This Groove. It was a massive hit. We did big tours. Um the next record, Rhythm and Romance, I think we kind of went down the rabbit hole of the Teddy Riley style funk in our own version. Um, I really think pretty much at that time, we kind of run our course for where our heads were at right then in terms of we would either have to go really simpler, like really back to the basics, or I don't think we could get any, any bigger in terms of the music, in terms of the chord and the layers and the parts and the levels and it 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 had just to my head it had blown up into too much to too much to to digest um and david actually had started to get a lot more session work on his own um Mm -hmm. what is this 1989 1990 um i'm kind of I'm trying to think of something that's a little bit different. Um, he had quite a bit of success in that era as a keyboard player and working and producing. And I was trying to find my own niche. I ended up going to okay. L.A. in 1992, 93, and forming a band with uh, just, it was really like a summer camp, like a musical summer camp. We had all kind of gotten divorced or our, record deal had ended or we were trying to find ourselves with uh, Andre Simone, Gardner Cole, St. Paul Peterson, mm-hmm. and myself. So we went there the summer of 1993. And actually that record just came out two weeks ago, The, the Mighty Soulmates. It just came out. Um, and we recorded like 24 songs. We recorded Wait, like what? 24 songs. and Yeah. So we recorded actually... Um, A&M Records, John McClain kind of put us together because he was a friend from way back. He's the one that said, K 
keep an eye on Prince. You know, once he once he loses of that course. baby girl voice and starts singing in full voice, he's gonna be a monster. He's gonna be a monster. And he turned us on kind of to Jimmy and Terry, and <laughs> he was really like a like a cohesive driving force. So I think he said, "Once you guys get together and see what you can do." So we hold up summer at Gardner Cole's house in Woodland Hills for like four or five months. We wrote literally. We wrote maybe more songs, but we finished 24, 25 songs. Not to interrupt, but John McLean is one of the most elusive, hardest cats to <laughs> get. He is our dream interview. Like, he's literally the, the common denominator of almost every other guest on this show. Mm -hmm. And he and then Mr. Griffey. Well, well, yeah, but uh, yeah, Dick. He has reasons. <laughs> yeah, he has reasons. Yeah, he can't make it. But you know, yeah. I know. Why? Why? Why is he such a mystery? He kind of, you know, I mean, I've spent time with him, like over the course, because he really was a fan of the system. He really was. He put us together. He brought us to produce a couple acts. So we did a couple projects for him. But I would ride around with him in L.A. and we would kind of talk music and he would talk Michael Jackson. He grew up with my, with the Jackson family. His father, I think, was, I don't want to speak out of, out of line, but his father was in the underground, under whatever, in mm -hmm. L.A. And, um, I got you. And, uh, but John always had a brilliant ear for music and a personality to put stuff together and just a sense of kind of what would work and who would work. He's always had that. So he brought us together. We spent the summer together, wrote this record, and then the earthquake happened in January, and we kind of all splintered and all went our separate ways. I think John changed labels or whatever, and this record has sat complete since 1994. So I was finally able to get uh, a deal for it uh, with ADA Warner, and the record just came out, what, on December 3rd? Oh, man. Wow. That's music to my ears, literally. Wow. That's. And over the course, also, um, Andre Simone have, and I have become brothers over the last. Actually, I met, I met uh, Andre on the Prince Rick James Clear Tour. He was the only okay. person in the band, because I'm, you know, I, I look like a roadie. I'm basically a roadie. No one would, no one would look to me, no one would talk to me. But Andre and I connected on that tour, and we've remained friends ever since. since. Okay, so you, uh, you were you weren't in system mode yet. You were just one of the guys in as far. Yeah, as... I was just one of the guys hanging around on the edge. I don't know what you do exactly, but you you ain't you ain't you ain't an artist. So you know you get some love. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's beautiful, man. Yo, I I just want to say, man, like I mean, this this is definitely a dream interview. Like I, I've always wanted to talk to you, or you know, you or David, either or, and this is one of the moments that. You know, definitely a highlight for me to to get to nerd out and and study history. Um, shout out to Unpaid Bill who yeah. ain't here. Shout out to Unpaid Bill. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Bill. Yeah, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. And I just want to say too, man, like "Don't Disturb This Groove" is like one of my favorite songs of all times. Yeah, like in any genre. I mean, you know, that song just when I was a kid and I would just hear it like, you know, on the way, like my mom taking me to school in the morning. You know what I mean? Like that was just, I think it's, it's, kind of it's still one of my favorite, favorite songs. songs of all the eighties babies. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. he posted the video with Jay-Z just saying it in common in this casual language. Like don't disturb this groove. Like I, I kind of think it's like at least a top 10 for most eighties babies. 
Nah, it really might be. Yeah. I mean, nah, that that song is just um, an amazing record, man. Like seriously, yeah, that thank shit you is so much. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's you know what they said. It, it's just Mm-mm. yeah. There's awesome a good story about that. There's a good. Let's story. Go. We have time. Yeah, there's a good yes. story we about that. Too. So 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 when 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 we would make records, generally the label they just let us do what we do. We they just you know you just turn it in when you're done. So at this point, it's like we had done a system we had done experiment we had done the pleasure seekers and now we're coming on don't disturb this group the pleasure seekers did it made a lot of noise so now it's time they want they want they want payback they want yeah they, they want the money record hit. they need mm-hmm. that big hit the money record so we knew david and i that don't disturb this groove was it we we knew so you know you go into a and r meeting you're gonna play all your shit but you're gonna save the best one for last, right? You're going to save the best one for last. So we start playing the songs in the album. We play everything. And now we're like, okay, we, we got one more to play for you. Hit play on the record. It plays for about a minute, a minute and a half. And Sylvia says, come on, baby. I know y'all got, some, I know y'all got something else. What you got? What, what you got for me? <laughs> yes. So Merlin Bob, who was also, he was like really that, the ah, I forgot Merlin Bob. Wow. Yeah. yeah, Merlin Bob. Merlin Merlin Bob sort of said, no, 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 no. Just, just wait a second. Let's listen to that one more time. And they listened to it the second time. And she still didn't want to release it as the first single. But what? she said, All right, you know, if that if that's what y'all, you know, if that's what y'all want to do, I'm okay with it. But you know, I think we sound stronger. Mm-hmm. And, AKA you know, y'all better be right about this shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. All right now. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Got you so all paranoid. Maybe meeting, I did something wrong. Yeah. So what was right. her comeback yep, to you after it hit me? What was the comeback from Sylvia? Oh, what she said? No, it was no. There was there was no comeback. That that record just went through the ceiling. Oh, I know. Just, I was wondering if was she no was like, y'all it. was right. I'm was no, yeah, no, no, no. We never got, we never got that. Oh, okay. But that was kind of. I thought that was an interesting story about don't disturb this group. Hell yeah! Um, wow. Really so they didn't, but the, the label beginning. didn't believe in it until it, until they, it, they saw it hit and it, and it went out. Yeah, until yeah, they saw some recognition from some label out on the West Coast. I think in Washington State or something. There was some tastemaker label at the time, and they said their phones were lighting up. So, you know, that one blew up, and and I really believe it's one of our, one of our best. Oh, oh yeah, as you said that. Absolutely. Okay, good. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yes, yes. All right. So, just before we sign off, any other secret projects you've you've done that we don't know about? Mm. Come on, let's give you your flowers. Done a lot. I, I know I've done a lot, but I I don't know what I think. I think the Michelle and the Michelle. Madonna stuff is oh, okay. Kind of really what I'm 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 kind of proud of stuff. That's legendary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do no more. Yeah. You, you yeah, can drop yeah. the mic right there. No, but thank you very much. I, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate you guys. All yeah, right. man. Thank you for the music, bro. For real. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to shout out to my brother David Frank. We've been on this road since 1981, even earlier because he was in Clear. My love for him, my love for his talent, my respect for him, and him getting on board with all my crazy ideas and my crazy energy. Um, I got so much love for him. And we actually, we have a record on the griddle right now that's being mixed in LA. Yes, yes, I love it. It's a new system record. 
Um, mix, being mixed by Tom Lord, Algie, and Jimmy Douglas. Woo! Okay, uh, okay. S- songs are finished. And Jimmy by, Douglas, you know, Jimmy, uh, Senator Jimmy D? Yeah, yeah, yeah Senator yes. Jimmy D. Oh, yes. Y'all ain't messing with uh, Okay. No, we're not, we're not playing, but, you know, we need the right need the right place the right home to get it out in 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 this new world um but it's i think it's going to be a sensational record as as you're doing this i promise this is my last question are you are you aware of the sort of the phase of like throwback that that sound that you guys help create like from groups like tuxedo or uh up in canada there's um What's the A-Track's brother's name? Uh, oh, uh, Chromio. Chromio. Chromio like, um, and we're not we're course. not throwback, but the foreign exchange. I mean, me and my brother. Yeah, oh, no like, doubt. We are very yeah. much inspired by y'all, for real. I was going to say, are you against, like, oftentimes people say, like, no, let's push forward, let's push forward. But I swear there's a, just a generation of people that are starving for, like, authentic, like, pulling out the DMX drum machine, pulling out. The Oberheim synthesizer, that sort of thing. Are are you guys going back to square one with this? We, for the most part, yes. But we're down with your quest. You got an idea, brother? We'll make a real, word. real simple and basic. I mean, we'll that's that's what we're about. <laughs> that's what it's we're trying right to get today. you right now. It's like what you need. One hundred percent. This might be a, a mission for Zoe and uh, Fontaine. Hey man, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm listening. I mean, listen, hey bro, say the word. Here's he said shit. Here's your man. Here's brilliant. an open for all. He's okay? your man. I I will here's do a documentary open. on it. I promise. <laughs> yep. Here's here's an open. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's beautiful. Make it happen. To me. Well, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Shook Steve, anything? Any? No, anything? thank you for your thank you for your time and uh, for your music, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. We'll talk to you Peace later. Work. Peace. Okay. Yeah, I'll be good. All right. Peace. All right. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.